Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 21. Chris, hola, como estas? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, I have it a vaccine. <laughs> but you speak Spanish too. Yeah, cool. yeah. you're going to start the, each episode with a new language, right? I, I guess yeah. so. I don't know. It's a new thing we're starting, a new ritual. Um, I have a vaccine appointment tomorrow, so that's exciting. Woohoo! Uh, I just opened it up to 30 plus, and so, uh, yeah, let's get this going. I'm feeling pretty good. Congratulations. That's so exciting. I think I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to be one of the people who just like, out of out of laziness is going to go when it's easy when 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 there's a sign at a pharmacy that's like hey walk in right now and you can be in and out in 20 minutes uh that's what i'll that's what i'll do yeah. sort of like if you know the if you want to be the first person ever to get an iphone you can camp out there and that's kind of a cool experience and you get to brag about it on facebook and if you just go like a day later you, it's the same thing and uh you don't have to wait <laughs> so I th that's that's my general strategy for this. I think is uh, we're gonna exercise patience, uh, and yes, that's it. Yeah, that, that's I, very exciting. I think that's fair too. <laughs> How was your week? I have a very exciting announcement. We uh, after the episode last week, we were talking about mining Ethereum uh, because you were looking at getting a fancy, expensive graphics card to be doing more of your data mining stuff. And I remembered that I recently built a computer with a fancy, expensive graphics card. And uh, after the episode, set it up to be mining Ethereum all of last week. So uh, I can I can report on uh, what that was like. And then I have some things that I would love your hot take on. Uh, but first, how was your week? What did you get up to? Uh, yeah, my week was all right. Um, yeah, you're right. I want to buy a graphics card to do some deep learning stuff. Um, but it turns out everyone is buying them for cryptocurrency mining. And <laughs> so they're out yeah. everywhere. Uh, the, the one I want is like the brand new NVIDIA one. Um, and it, it they'll come out with like a batch of them and bots just buy them in like three seconds, like literally three seconds. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I haven't done that yet. Um, but I did. So I paid for Google Colab. So Google Colab is a free service. But if you pay $10 a month, then you get like priority for their higher GPU, like faster GPUs and higher RAM. Um, and... I mean, they're only like two or three years old. I think it's basically like Google will like, you know, when the a new version of GPUs come out, they take all those for them. And then the old ones go to the collab like pool or whatever. So yeah, mm -hmm. I was, I was running on a GPU that would have cost me three grand, uh, for $10 wow. a month, you know? Um, cause it's like, a, yeah. So it's hard to beat that price. <laughs> so maybe I'll just stick with that. It's a little annoying. You have to transfer files through Google drive and you can't, you can only leave it on for like 24 hours at a time or something like that. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm probably just stick with that for a while. Uh, so I did that. Uh, I did more of the Kaggle stuff. Um, and then Meeting Place is sort of heating up. So with COVID sort of either, you know, doing some long wind down kind of process, uh, people, more people are more interested in in-person meetups um, or, you know, are thinking about that again. And so people have started signing up for Meeting Place again. A few pl people have reactivated. Um, and so, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, I basically done nothing with it for a while uh, because COVID just, you know, put the halt on, on all meetups. Um, so I'm looking to get back into that, I think, to uh, add some things that, you know, it's, it's, it's about a year old now, the code base. And so I want to uh, bring it more up to speed. But, mm. Yeah. More people getting vaccines means more people meeting up. Yep. The economics of being able to pay $10 a month for a $3,000 GPU, whenever you would be using it, like this is not a thing like if you owned one you wouldn't be using it all the time so you you'd sort of have to be mining cryptocurrency or doing something else with it to to justify that three thousand dollar price i don't like 
for ten dollars a month for a three thousand dollar GPU, like that makes perfect sense to me. I don't know why you wouldn't just do that forever. Yeah, it's basically below. I mean, it's below cost. Like Google's doing it. I mean, Google Colab itself is free, and then you upgrade only to get the priority for the the better GPUs. Um, it's it's basically you know a loss leader so that you kind of get in the Google tool chain, and you know they want to promote deep learning this way, and um, it's also better than throwing away all their cards or you know like so they um are doing that. Yeah, the the only reason that I would I, I kind of still want the the newer graphics card because um, you can leave it on forever. Um, mm. You can it has more RAM. So the ones I'm getting on Google Colab have 16 gigs, which is all, it's mm. a lot. Like most have eight or ten or twelve. Um, mm. But the one you can get now the so the 3090 uh, Nvidia 3090 has like 20 or 24 gigs of RAM. Um, and so yeah, so you can you can do quite a bit more with that. Um, but yeah, I mean. For the stuff I'm doing right now, it, it basically doesn't make sense. I should just stick with Google Colab uh, for a long time. I haven't hit RAM limits really yet, so, mm. yeah. The deal that I sort of make with myself with these sorts of things, I kind of went through the same process with getting a 3D printer. was like, I need to come up with enough work to... Uh, I need to have enough work to make it start to make financial sense that you know if i was using this for a year at this price i i would be further ahead if i actually owned the thing i sort of think about gym memberships in the same way of like okay to to go to a climbing gym by me is i think 15 dollars for a session or i can have a monthly membership for like 70 or 80 dollars so i'd have to be uh climbing at least five times uh for for that to make sense so what i've started doing is consistently without fail, if I buy the gym membership, I just stop going to the gym. Cause right. I'm like, Oh, I could go, but I could also go tomorrow. And then I just never go. And I think that, I think the philosophy for me, for me going forward is going to be like, I need to prove to myself, I, I need to, I need to be consistently spending more money on the day passes before I buy the membership. And so for 3d printing, that looked like to me, you know, I need to have enough pressure built up where I have projects that I want to be 3d printing. And if I ordered them one off from iMaterialize or Shapeways, it would cost roughly $300 and I can buy a 3D printer for that amount. And now that tips me over of like, okay, now it makes sense to, to buy the 3D printer. But until then, how much better is it? I don't have to worry about if it breaks. I don't have to worry about maintaining it. I, it's just the service and it's like a better 3D printer than I would have gotten. And the technology is going to improve until then, until I have that pressure built up. Um, so I think, I think the question I'd be asking you on this decision is, are you feeling that pressure? And it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary because ten dollars a month, my gosh, that's that's going to take forever to build that pressure up to, to three thousand dollars. Are there would would buying that three thousand dollar or whatever graphics card enable you to do things that you couldn't currently do? Would that would that relieve some pressure of like you have a bunch of projects in the back of your head of data science that you want to be processing, but it doesn't quite make sense because you have to transfer the data and that's that's a thing that costs time and so just having it locally you could you could be running it much faster and open that uh bandwidth up more what what does that pressure look like for you right now are there things that you could do if you had the graphics card in your house that you can't do with google collab or that would be easier to do in a way that would relieve the pressure of the work yeah so it was mostly it was a couple things uh one was it was when i was using the free version of collab and i was getting like eight gigabyte cards and i was running into mm -hmm. ram limits with those like i couldn't do what i wanted to with those cards and so mm -hmm. i was like and then i started looking at like spot prices on aws or whatever and it's like two to four dollars per hour <laughs> that you run them mm -hmm. um so that gets really expensive really fast yeah um, 
And uh, yeah, so I started looking at the cards and at normal prices, the card I want is about $1,500 and the rest of the computer is, you know, $1,500. So it's about three grand for the computer. Um, right now, it's it's almost double that <laughs> because <laughs> everyone's buying them for cryptocurrency mining. So yeah, um, yeah it's not worth it at all at the current prices. Um, but the, the other thing that I thought is, so Google Colab has just a little bit of friction getting to it because you got to get the files up there. You have to shut it down when you're not done or when you're done. Um, you can't really do data processing on it. You kind of can, but um, the way I do it is I do it on my laptop, get it into a nice CSV, and then put it on Colab um, mm. so that it's because it's easier that way. Whereas if it was all one machine in my basement, like I could do everything on the one machine, there wouldn't be the switching time, it'd be less friction. Mm. Um, so those are all things like, you know, even when I'm thinking about business, like whenever you can reduce friction, like mm-hmm. even just like I leave my editor open right to the file that I'm working on. Like mm-hmm. just that lower friction will get you over the hump a lot of times. And so that's kind of what I was thinking for the data science stuff. Um, but at $10 a month and I can get 16, a 16 gig card that, uh, right now would cost me about three grand. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, reducing friction, I think is the name of the game. And the, I suppose the question then would be like on the scale of business, $3,000 plus a, a graphics card that's doubly expensive. Not that much. If that's a machine that's then making you money, that like of course uh if you can spend forty five hundred dollars to make nine thousand dollars like yes do that all day can can you do that again can you do that ten times can you get ten machines and have ten times the output um so then the question is like what is the friction minimizing function is it because having your own machine is now introducing a bunch of friction of now it's your own machine you have to put it together and it's not going to start and then you you have to figure out how to start it which i think is a thing that uh i know i enjoy so you would probably also enjoy it uh so maybe maybe there's a a more clever solution of like you know can you use our clone to automatically zoop your data up to google drive so that that step is easier or can you uh, have an automatic shutdown function that that makes that trivially easy. Uh, how how do you think about that? What in if you had infinite money and your job was just like how do I how do I minimize the friction so that this stuff can get through faster? Uh, what would that look like? Would you would the minimum friction function then look like you're paying three dollars a month for Amazon? Would it look like you know, maybe you hire someone else to build this computer for you and you don't really care that it's the, the uh, double expensive graphic card. What what would the perfect solution look like that, that was trying to minimize friction as much as possible that, that just made this work as easy as it could be? Yeah, so there's basically, I'll pick up a few things that you, so the first is um, one of the tricky bits is that this isn't making me any money right now. You know, this is just mm-hmm. like a hobby. So um, that's, that's one of the reasons it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but for minimizing fric- friction, um, so... There's a great company called Lambda Labs. At least I think they're great. Other people say they're great. Um, and they make deep learning machines. And so the minimum friction is not to build your own. It's to spend twice as much as it's worth or three times as much as it's worth and just buy one of theirs. Um, yeah. They make workstations. They make servers. They make everything. Um, so that would be a minimum friction one. The other one is, yeah, so the Amazon one is $3 per hour, not per month. Uh, so, yeah, you can just spit up. Oh, a, that's it per month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's expensive. Uh, so you can just spit up a bunch of Amazon things. That's what a lot of companies do. Um and if you get really big, then the really low friction thing is um, once you get a data engineer working on your data pipeline, basically you can have, um, so I was listening to a podcast where he works at a company. He says, I don't even know like where the servers are or 
how they work or what they do, but I put my data on a thing. Like I put terabytes on it. It doesn't matter. It's like distributed yeah. across everywhere. And then I say run and it just runs on a bunch of GPUs and I, <laughs> I don't need to know anything about that. You know, so that's the really low friction is you, you know, have a whole team of like network engineers working to make mm-hmm. sure your, your hard drives are fast and next to your GPUs and your GPUs are linked. And you know, so that's the really low friction way to do it. Um, I don't need that obviously. Uh, but yeah, it, it, if I had a bunch of money, I would uh, buy a Lambda Labs machine and put it in my basement. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe the the question then is like, could you make more money from this so that that became the easier choice? Yeah. I mean, so that. Oh, how'd the competition go? By the way, it's not done yet. Yeah, it's not done yet. So okay. yeah, it's got a month and a half or something. Um, okay. Yeah. So I can talk about that a little bit. That that is a an exercise in me as a human knowing what to do and telling a computer to do it is difficult <laughs> because okay. like I, uh, like I kind of know what to do and it's just really hard. And then at the same time you have a, you know, a thousand other teams trying to rise a leaderboard too. And so they keep getting yeah. better while you get better. And so yeah. it's like a frustrating, like chasing thing. Um, but I, it's just, it's still really neat. Um, it, this is a competition that sort of hits all the different things. It has images. It has, I did not, uh, prep my camera for this there we go oh, um it has images it has time series it has um you know tabular data so it's it's just been really it's been a good muscle or it's been good at, at letting me learn all the different bits of of deep learning and, and use that in like a real world data set um hmm. so i've done i've made networks that uh were very confusing to me before and now i understand them that's good like really big like uh recurrent neural networks i did that um i did like uh, networks that have like different paths through them, which is like a non-standard thing to do. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm still really enjoying like doing this for the learning. Um, also, I th- I think I'll be able. So there, there is on Kaggle you can release your code publicly or privately, and so mm-hmm. people do publicly like as goodwill and stuff. And so there's a public uh, thing which has a certain score, and I'm just under that score, <laughs> and so I have not yet gone <laughs> quite above the public, um, and I have a thing it's still processing on my laptop right now it's been processing for about three days and once that's done i'll be able to run that through a network and i think that should jump me past the that'll get me over this hurdle of beating the current uh, public uh, score so um cool. yeah so it's been interesting fun <laughs> feels kind of demoralizing <laughs> like someone capable of copying and pasting would uh would score better than yeah. you right now yeah that's were, were there things from that that you were able to adapt like i imagine i imagine if the game was like collectively we're, we're trying to get the best score possible that it would make sense for everyone to share all of their techniques and then the best solution would be a, a combination of clever things that several people had done yeah so um, a really common thing and what i could have done and probably beat the, the that score right now is you use that and then you just average with your score, basically, like your average with your thing. It's so it's called ensembling. Um, there's different ways to do it, but you basically use multiple models, and that almost always returns a better result than a single model. So I probably could do that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like the hemispheres of the brain. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, different models, especially if they're like radically differently trained. Um, you know, probably have determined different things about the data. So yeah, you average them together, and you get something better than the either two could produce. Neat. That's really cool uh three dollars an hour uh if i did my math correctly would be like over 15 grand a month and that yeah that's that would pay for itself very quickly yeah just bought your own yeah amazon spot prices uh, for gpus are about 10 times uh what they should be um you you can like reserve them for a year and stuff like that and then they come way down in price but they're still really expensive (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah i have some stuff running on amazon that i'm very excited to move to serverless well 
part of why I'm excited is uh, it's going to be easier to manage and it's going to be cheaper for what I'm using and it's going to auto expand. Uh, like Amazon has serverless stuff that would would be fine. Uh, yeah, that, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> uh, have you read Permutation City by Greg Egan? No, I don't think so. It, they have in this book this concept of cloud computing, which is crazy because this book was written like 20 years ago. And uh, it, it has these concepts of like spot prices for indexes for uh, buying computing and uh, a, a major plot point centers around like the protagonist is buying a whole bunch of this and he bought out the entire network even though it's super expensive to do this simulation and no one knows what it is and they, uh, they discover it. Eh, I just thought about it. I just wanted to, to mention it. It's a cool book related to what we're talking about. Uh, let's talk about Meeting Place. Increased traffic on Meeting Place. That's exciting. How how are you thinking about that? How is this getting balanced in uh, your work and what what are the next... What are the next things that you would want to be doing for that? You talk about the code base being a year old <laughs> as if it's just like decrepit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I look at code that I wrote like two weeks ago and I'm like, who wrote this? Yep. This is this is garbage. Um, how, how, how are you thinking about that? What are the next things to be working on? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, just this last week I've gotten um, multiple people reach out. Like my email is all over the place on the site. And so people, you know, can reach out. Um, and so, yeah, that's more interest than I've had for a while. And so it's just got me thinking about the things they need now. Um, part of it is I, I have, there's a couple groups on there right now that should be paying me, but aren't because they don't have automatic like uh, limits in place. <laughs> like mm. my, my solution for that was I would email you when you went past the limit, but I didn't look at like mm. the dashboard I have for like a few weeks. Yeah. So I really need automatic, like you need to pay me now uh, messages. Um, yeah. So that's kind of one thing. I, I really want to avoid the trap of rewriting large chunks of it, even though I don't like some of the back end. Uh, just like you were, you know, you were saying, like it works fine, yeah. right? I would like the design <laughs> to be updated, uh, but it's fine. Um, so I, I need, I need some infrastructure things in place, and then I need probably more documentation. Is maybe my, my next thing. Um, like more people are, they're asking things that should I should have a doc for them to point to and instead i'm just responding in an email a little bit like what you were talking about with file inbox um yep. like i need you know i probably need more documentation so that's probably my next two things i am so curious to see what you come up with with documentation that's a problem that i'm still stuck on i made no progress in customer support <laughs> emails this last week uh that's a that's the next dragon to to conquer and i can imagine this perfect system of like an email comes in and I have my knowledge base system in a split screen view and I start typing out like, okay, what is this person asking? They want to know if they can embed in WordPress and I start typing WordPress and then, oh my gosh, here's the link. And it, it pops it right there. I've written an entire article about it and I hit enter and I paste it in there. And it's like a pre-filled email of like, hey, it sounds like you're asking about embedding this in WordPress. I actually wrote a support article about it. Uh, here you go. And then that links to the support article. And then, you know, I start that support article with text and then I have some measurement of like, oh, this one's really popular and it's getting a lot of hits. And so uh, that makes the most sense to invest more in of like, let me flesh it out more or let me record a video about it. Um, that, And then it's public and gets SEO traffic. So anyone in the future searching for like file upload on WordPress would find that also. That's the machine that I think I would need for this. And I'm... I, I still haven't quite pinned down like how I want to do that or what that workflow is going to look like and how it's going to integrate with my email system. So I'm eagerly 
<laughs> whatever you come up with to, to solve that problem for yourself, I'd like to uh, steal from to figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. My initial solution is just going to be, it's going to be boring. It's uh, I know the top four answers or the top four questions that people ask kind of in my head mm. already. So I need to write, you know, articles for those. And so that's, mm. that's what I'm going to do. Uh, nothing, nothing automated or fancy from the start. I think having things automated and fancy is part of what gets me motivated to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Just knowing in the back of my head, like, ooh, it's shiny, fresh code, and I did it in this very clever way. Like, that's uh, that's what my what my monkey brain enjoys uh, putting work on. Uh, neat. So this, how how, I'm predicting that next week. Uh, it would be very likely that when we talk about like how did meeting place work go, you say something along the lines of like, oh, well, you know, I I pushed forward that the people who were over, I sent them an email. And then that's really all I did. And the rest of the time I spent playing with this uh, machine learning project because that's so much more fun. Uh, is that okay? Is that, a, is that how you would like the week to go? Would you like to tie yourself to the mast on any particular thing of pushing something forward? Uh, if, if you could like, if you could step outside yourself and put a little bit more structure in place to allocate time next week, uh, you know, fighting those ADD ten tendencies to work on important things uh, instead of just exciting things. What, how, how would you like that work allocation to look? Yeah, uh, that's a good question uh, because probably exactly, you're exactly right. Um, so on the Kaggle contest, I've been, so the re I spent a lot of this week on it and I have this thing that's this data project that's sort of wrapping up and it's going to like, it, then it's going to have processed all the data in the way I want. And then I'll be able to submit a thing. Probably no matter if that's good or bad, I should spend a few days, especially on the meeting place API. So I, I have a half done project on that. Um, mm. So I didn't even talk about that, but that's half done and I really should push it. It'll probably take a day or two. So it would probably be good to tie myself to the mast and say, I'm going to finish the API thing. Um, and, you know, if I do some of the other stuff, that's great. But, you know, yeah. So getting the meeting place API changes, uh, done by next week would be great meeting place api changes cool that's that so next week i'm going to ask you my first question hey did you get the meeting place api changes done that's exactly what i need someone to ask me <laughs> if it's great done. i can be that person for you all right <laughs> and it's it's public now so all of our tens of listeners will t judge you harshly for <laughs> well no i don't, I don't want to put pressure on it because uh that's that's a different thing uh this is a thing that you're deciding now is like an important place to put work. And so uh, making choices that enable you to do that work easily uh, would, would be good holistically. That would that would align yourself in the present with the future of what you want to do. Yep. Uh, cool. Meeting place API changes. Anything else you'd like me to ask you about for next week while I... Uh, no, I mean, that'll be, that'll be good. Uh, how my cool. vaccine shot went. Hopefully the first shot is... Uh, is smooth i think usually so i i've heard some some people have a reaction but hopefully okay cool the the chris i'm talking to next week will have mind control nanobots from bill gates that's uh, right controlling it 5g that's... 5g will be 5g planted that's, in. that's right <laughs> there are people very uh close to me in my life who actually believe that and yep that's uh we we've had very interesting conversations it's I try to frame those in a way of like being very curious and trying to understand where they're coming from. And uh, if if I find myself framing something that someone just said as stupid, I've, I try to turn that around into like, oh no, this means I don't understand. There's something here at some level that I don't understand about this person. 
so work, working through that has been difficult. Uh, talking about graphics cards. Yes. We had a little bit of this, this same discussion uh, last week. I would love to talk about my experiment. Absolutely. Mining Ethereum. Because after we got off our call yesterday, uh, last week, I realized, you know, I have this graphics card sitting around. It's the Radon RX 590 Fatboy, which, as we all know, has 8 gigabytes of RAM and runs at 1580 megahertz of DDR5-3XDP HDMI <laughs> DVI. Uh, and I had the thought, like, this was a, a relatively expensive graphics card a year ago, so probably still has some juice in it left. Uh, graphics cards are more expensive. I've just had this sitting there, doing nothing. It could have been earning its keep. And I did some back-of-the-envelope calculations, and there's some sites where you can calculate this of, like, this is my graphics card, and I'm mining Ethereum, and so what could I make per day? And I had a calculator tell me that it would make $4 a day. And I was like, oh, $4 a day is $120 a month. That's, like, sort of worth the effort it would take to do it. And, like, maybe that's a thing that... <laughs> You know, when I stay in Airbnbs, maybe I, <laughs> I steal some electricity from each Airbnb to sort of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> make more money back on the Airbnb because they don't they don't like charge you for electricity. And so I spent like, uh, I think three hours last week getting this set up. And it was a whole thing of I had to figure out like, uh, oh, th there's a, a lower level technology. I forgot what it's called. To, that you have to have compatible so that the graphics card program runs and. I tried it on Linux, and the Linux support for the graphics card wasn't very good. It's a it's a Radon uh, AMD graphics card, and the drivers weren't there, and I was having trouble figuring that out. So I switched to Windows and got this spinning up in Windows. I have had it running for about five days straight, and I have mined 0 0.00259 Ethereum, <laughs> which... If converted to USD today, would be $4.74. A little less than that. So, a little little less than I was predicting by, by about an order of magnitude. And it's something. And uh, the, the mining pool that I'm in pays out, uh, the, the lowest increment that it pays out in is if you hit 0.1 Ethereum. So I'd have to have this running for like months <laughs> before I got... <laughs> A payout of like about two hundred dollars. So, uh, I not worth my time is the uh, resolution that I've come to this in. And I mind I mind Bitcoin in college while I wasn't paying for electricity. Um, and that ended up being worth a lot because I had no money at the time, and I was doing some work for one of my friends from high school who paid me with a Bitcoin miner because the the business was like about Bitcoin miners. That's cool. And uh, so that, that sort of made sense at the time because uh, my time wasn't worth very much. And so I could just babysit these machines and make sure they were always running and I wasn't paying for electricity. And then the, the actual Bitcoin wasn't worth very much at the time. It would have been much better if I was just like working at a job and then bought Bitcoin. Uh, but like I held on to it and it ended up being worth uh, much more than it was uh, when I mined it. So like that was cool. But I think now that like I am not a poor college student, it, if I want more Ethereum, I can just buy it with dollars. And uh, yeah, it's so that's that that's what what came of that experiment. Uh, my, uh, not not worth my time, but uh, very interesting. And I'm curious, even if you bought this fifteen hundred dollar graphics card that you have to pay three thousand dollars more for, uh, something was wrong in my calculations. I'm, I'm not 
sure where I made that mistake. Uh, I think I think our hypothesis that you could make back some of that money by running it mining Ethereum might be wrong. And I don't quite understand who are the people who are mining Ethereum who are making this work financially? Like even not paying for electricity, this doesn't make sense. Is it the scale of it? Is it that once you have an operation, if you have like a hundred of these, adding another hundred is relatively cheap for you and uh, makes you twice as much money. And so the, the game is like, there's a small number of people who just have massive amounts of GPUs. Uh, in which case I would think like older GPUs, th there would start to be a much healthier secondary market. Uh, what what do you think's going on there? Did I do something wrong? Is it just I have an underpowered graphics card? Uh, yeah, so I know certain graphics cards are better than others. Um, for deep learning, for example, NVIDIA, it like it runs CUDA, and so basically NVIDIA cards work and AMD cards don't for deep learning. And so hmm. maybe it's just that AMD cards don't work. I, I don't know much about cryptocurrency mining, um, but it's possible that it's an NVIDIA versus AMD thing. Um, also, like... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, so I had a friend who got pretty deep into it, like so, so deep that uh, his brother and him bought a a thing with three phase uh, a place with three phase power. They got like over 100 graphics cards in there, you know, and they made money All for right. a while. Um, but yeah. they didn't do it on Ethereum, which may be your other thing. So they, mm. you can auto switch between other cryptocurrencies. Um, the mm. problem with those is you have to get rid of them, and to, and there aren't that many exchanges that deal in some of these smaller coins so you have to like go to shady websites and to, to offload your coins um yeah but they made money for a while this was during the last boom and crash and then it was not profitable for them anymore when it crashed and now it is again even on their old cards um hmm. so yeah i think it's a scale thing i think it's a you got to get the right graphics card and like make sure you have the right thing um hmm. yeah uh, and free power helps right <laughs> or i like uh so some of the biggest mines I know are in Iceland, actually, because power is super cheap mm. because geothermal power and it's cold there. And so they pump the cold mm. air through their mine and they don't have to cool it. Yeah. And um, and they get super cheap ge geothermal power. So, uh, yeah, you, you got to do stuff like that, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I think where I've landed on this is it's not a very interesting problem there. Uh, I could see how I could do it and... I, I could move to Iceland and <laughs> buy, you know, 10,000 of these. And, uh, I've, I think I've sort of like proven to myself that I could do this. Like I've, I've figured it out and I've got it set up and, uh, now it's just the most boring thing in the world because I, I could see how it could be done. And so now I'm done. Okay. Neat. Uh, I have six things that I would love your hot take on. I'd love to go through another rabbit fire. I don't know what it was about this last week. <laughs> Felt much more creative. I want to graph like number of ideas that i have for businesses yeah. per episode and see if there's some sort of a, a cyclical pattern put it on your uh, uh, midnight personal tracker you know <laughs> yeah how many yeah, ideas yeah. do oh, i yeah. have <laughs> see the see the graph and yeah uh the big one okay uh where do i want to start uh let's start let's start with the not as good ideas all right uh this is something i mentioned before i think uh youtube is a dopamine machine they are so good at coming up with this algorithm of like showing you these videos that are quick and engaging and get you to click on them it's like candy it's like cigarettes it's like oh you're you're bored here you go here's some dopamine for what you need and what i want is a way that i can recommend my own videos to myself to be able to say like here's this course that i found from stanford and i would like to queue up this course so that when i go to youtube.com instead of seeing 
this sketch video from uh oh i forgot his name i just started getting recommended this improv comedian and he's really funny but like it just wastes time instead of seeing his videos i want to see the uh course videos that i did and so i want to be able to queue up like in my watch later list i want to be able to say just like oh this is a video that i would like my future self to see let me click the watch later video and then i want that video to show up instead of uh the uh joel javier i think is his name instead of those videos uh and that could be a chrome extension or maybe locally i redirect youtube to something else uh what's your hot take on that idea yeah i mean i think the easiest way well, there's, yeah, there's two ways to do it, and you covered them. <laughs> the the easiest might be some kind of Chrome extension, like even that just hides the um the you know the what to watch next videos or something on YouTube, um, and then you don't even see them, right? Uh, and then yeah, you can replace them with your own. Um, that's definitely one. Uh, another is just a better. So I bookmark you know like YouTube videos and stuff I want to watch later, and then it's rare that I go back and and look for them. Um, mm. so I think we sort of talked about this before, like something that you know just serves up your old bookmarks to yourself. Uh, but you know, this one's specific for videos, you know? So like, um, yeah, it would be neat. Um, uh, it would be something I would run. I, I wouldn't pay for it probably, <laughs> but you know, maybe you could find people who, who would, uh, um, and if it was a Chrome extension, I wouldn't run it cause I don't run Chrome extensions. We talked about, we talked about that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, like it's, it is not hard at all to make a Chrome extension that just hides, you know, a certain div on a page. Now, anytime YouTube updates their site, which is kind of often, uh, yeah. you need to update it. But other than that, should work hmm okay maybe you're right that anytime youtube updates the site maybe i have like an overlay on top of youtube maybe i like hmm ah uh, i think i'd be okay just changing it anytime they did it because the, the piece of code i would have to change is like the name of the div that i'm replacing or something right. or the, the structure of that so that'd be okay specifically what i want to see also is like I have subscribed to so many interesting channels of people who build things. I love those channels of like, here's a woodworker who's going to walk through how they made stuff out of wood. And I'll find them and uh, I'll stumble on a video on Hacker News or something. And then I'll click through to their channel and see like, oh my gosh, they have so many interesting videos. I would love to see this. And I'll subscribe to them and then I'll forget about them and just never see anything from them again. And what I, and I think that's because like probably YouTube has popped up a video or two of theirs and I just haven't clicked on it because I've clicked on the one with the t the thumbnail of the scantily clad woman that has nothing to do with women or anything uh, on it because my monkey brain is very easily hijacked. Uh, and what I would love to see instead is like, I think it would be relatively straightforward for me to scrape all of the channels that I'm subscribed to. And then for all of those channels, look at their most popular video that I haven't watched yet. And then have that be my suggested video list. And then... I want to also be able to manually say, hey, this is a really interesting course from Stanford on the philosophy of death. I want these videos uh, recommended to me in order. Uh, and then have that displayed on the on the page. Okay, cool. That's, that's yeah, I think I that'd be do. neat. Um, the other thing, uh, you may already know this, but for other people too, uh, I'm really careful curating my YouTube history. So if you're not aware, YouTube tracks everything you watch and you can change that. So you can go into your history. Oh. Yeah. So you can go to your YouTube history and delete things. And so if I watch something that like I can, you can tell when you watch a video and then it recommends a lot from that channel or whatever, yeah, um, yeah. go to your history, your YouTube it's on. So if you just go to YouTube, click on the hamburger menu in the upper left and click history there, and then wait a second for it to populate and stuff, then you can just delete things from the watch history and that removes it from its algorithm. 
Amazing. Yeah. So. Oh, and there's an X there. Perfect. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I can go back. I can edit <laughs> and say, this is the history that I wish I would have had. Exactly. Yep. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so I can just, I can just cross out all these videos from the onion. Yep. Six year old explains how messed up it is that her entire life has been put on Facebook. I can just take that <laughs> off because I don't want to be recommended onion videos anymore. Even though I know I will click on them. Yep. I don't want to click on them. I don't want that temptation in my life. Yeah, so okay, I do that all great. the time. I watch a video like the onion. Actually, I've been on the onion streak too. Probably it's, you know, the algorithm probably decided people like onion clips. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so when I want to stop watching those kind of videos, I just go back and delete them all from the history, and then it stops recommending them. So super effective. That is a great hot take. Thank you so much. Okay, cool. Next hot take. Uh, you and I both have Oculus Quest 2 VR headsets. VR, amazing, incredible. I've been chewing on things I would want to build for it. Uh, one of the projects that my dad has been obsessed with for like the last two years is make, making a scale model of the universe. And it's kind of mind-blowing, like, it's there's so much more empty space than there are planets. You think of a scale model of the universe and you think like, oh, it's like a little diorama and we have like a huge planet here and then right next to it is this huge planet here and then we have Earth and, and the sun. And they'll, they'll be scaled in size but not distance between them. And if you if you made something that was to scale with distance also, it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, you, you put five miles between the sun and Pluto and yep. then Pluto's just like this little tiny pinprick and you know Neptune's the size of your fist maybe or like a, a basketball or something like that and then Earth is just like a little a little bubblegum drop uh, so he, he wanted to put that like on a running trail which I think is a cool idea uh, but I had the thought oh VR I have control over uh, uh, physical-ish space what if there was a uh, model of the solar system where I know where you are on Earth and I know what direction you're facing. So I can put you in this virtual space where you're standing on Earth and then you can scale yourself up to be just gigantic. Uh, so you're still standing on Earth, but you're like rotating around Earth <laughs> uh, as if you were this giant standing on Earth. And then you can look out and say like, oh, wow, the sun is really far away. And like, wow, and there's an arrow pointing to Pluto and it's just a little tiny speck. And then you can teleport over there and uh, look back at the other planets. Uh, that's a thing I want to do. I have never done development on unity you have uh what's your hot take specifically with a bent on like how feasible would this be to build is this an is this an okay introductory project to virtual reality uh yeah i think that'd be super cool um i think it'd be pretty easy to get started uh, because you have several different layers of like fidelity basically your first layer is uh you make an orange sphere for the sun and a blue sphere mm. for the earth, right? With no texture or anything. Um, and then you just got to get the sizes right. Uh, and, and yeah, I think that's totally doable. Um, in the first, you know, couple hours that I was doing Unity development for the Oculus, I got a ball to roll around, uh, you know, a box. And so, like, cool. it shouldn't be that hard to get two balls to fly around each other. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that'd be super neat. Uh, it took longer than I thought to get the whole thing set up. It's kind of like if you install Xcode for the first time, like you have to download the Unity thing and then you have to like mm. get familiar with the, you know, like the, all the different things. Um, but once you do, yeah, I think it's a great first project. Great. No, it is. Have you looked into at all getting it on the Quest store? Do you know how hard that is? I have no idea. I imagine it's similar to the Apple store or whatever. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. That would make sense. Neat. All right. Next idea. Uh, in having this laser cutter CNC machine 3D printer, I have had a few ideas of things that I could make that I might want to sell. And one of those related to VR 
is a blue light blocking insert. So if you're playing this late at night, blue light keeps you awake at night. That's why there's like blue light filters on screens. Uh, the Oculus has a software blue light filter, but that's not enough. There's there's still a lot of blue light coming in. And uh, I, I find myself feeling much sleepier when I just put this red insert that I made into it. And I had the thought, ooh, I could put this like on Amazon and probably sell it for, I don't know, $10 per insert. And then I could print out a bunch of them. I've never had a product listed on Amazon. And that would be a pain because I'd have to figure out shipping and how that works. And uh, But it'd be kind of cool if like, maybe I ship a bunch to Amazon and then this is a pretty small thing. So I don't know that I would have to pay a bunch in stocking fees. Uh, and the easier way to make money from this would be if I just sold the design. So something that I've seen in exploring the space of the different marketplaces of 3D things is people will just sell the, the design, the, the STL file for the thing that they're making and you can download it and print it yourself. And, you know, they charge a couple of dollars for that. Um, it'd be a smaller market because you would have to have a laser cutter or a way to cut this uh, and not as good of a product because now you have to like go through work to do it. But it would just be pure profit for me. It would uh, And whatever cut the, the platform takes. Uh, what's your hot take on uh, a laser cut insert for a uh, Oculus Quest? Yeah, uh, I think it's it. I think it's a neat idea. Um, I was once in a program with someone who was building a light bulb that auto dimmed. It's kind of the same idea, like auto dimmed and changed hue at night, you know, so you mm. better sleep, you know, sort of the same thing. And he had a lot of luck putting it on Amazon and you know, like running ads against it and stuff. Um, however, he was, he talked so much about just how hard it was to manufacture physical products at scale and get them shipped and get them mm. in, and then you got returns and then you got, so knowing everything that you do and, uh, stuff, I, <laughs> I, I would I would think that selling the SDL file would be way more up your alley. Um, you might make less yeah. money, but it would take way less time. Um, uh, you could also talk to Josh Pigford of Lasers LOL. We talked about him last mm. time because um, he sort of did that. You know, he sells a laser cut thing, um, mm -hmm. and he sells them like you you mentioned putting on Amazon for ten dollars. He sells his like lasers laser cut things for fifty to a hundred dollars. Like, mm. um, so you may want to you know if you actually do sell them, I would think about like really expensive basically because it's going to take you yeah. a lot of time and then handling returns and all that. Um, yeah. This is more of a consumer facing product. I don't, I don't see it selling for more than like $20. Although they do sell, they sell like blue light blocking glasses for $80, which is ridiculous. Maybe the, maybe I just need to think about a better product. Maybe would, if it was, if would, it was like a replacement for those $80 glasses that, that yeah. might make more sense. I would sell the STL file and then uh, give them away as Christmas presents or something. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, a little hint there of what to get Chris for Christmas. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, next idea. I have talked about this a few times. I have had a lot of frustration with reading books digitally. I feel like anytime there's a paradigm shift in the way that things are done, the very first thing you do is like, okay, we're going to do it exactly the same way, but with this new technology. An example being when we switched from steam engines to electric motors, when you had a steam engine, you had to have like one huge central steam engine in your factory. And then you had belts driving everything in the factory. And so like, if anything in the factory needed to stop, the entire factory has to stop because it's all running on the same big boiler. And if the boiler breaks, the entire factory goes down. So like, that's inconvenient. And also boilers are loud and hot and messy and it's uh, tough. And then, ooh, what's this? We have an electric motor and electricity. The first thing you do when you have that is like, let's get a big old electric motor and let's put it in the same place that the uh, big boiler was. And uh, that's how we'll run our factory now. And now it's electric. 
And so if you think about that from the perspective of someone who is trying to run a factory, you've sort of inherited the downsides of both of those systems now. You've inherited the downsides of the steam engine because it's still centrally located and everything is running on the same thing. And you've inherited the downsides of an electric motor. Like now we have to have electricity. That's a pain because electricity is brand new and right. people are getting shocked and uh, elephants are getting electrocuted and that's scary and bad. And it takes some time to be able to think like, oh, wait a minute, a motor can just be smaller and we can have one at every place. And we don't, we don't have to run this power mechanically to every place. We could just run electricity through wires and then have the things moving on each individual motor. And I feel like we are still in that transition phase for books. We've taken a book, great model, so good. We you print out things on a page and you can transmit ideas just over paper, amazing. Uh, printing press, oh, so good. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm Donald Trump in the way I'm <laughs> saying things. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> the best. Uh, and when we made the transition to reading books digitally, like on a Kindle, we basically took the exact same thing with the, the layout of a book. We just said, okay, a page, we're going to show you a page at a time and it's going to be the same linear layout and you're going to scroll through it as if it was just a book that you're paging through. And like, no, because now we're inheriting the limitations of the book of it's this linear model of going through things. And uh, it's sort of clunky to take notes and cross-reference things. And uh, we kind of have search, but it's not a very good search. Uh, and we kind of have linking, but linking isn't necessarily as good as it would be just in the book. If it told you the page number, you, you could go to a different page. Um, and we've inherited the downsides of it's electric. Now you have to have another thing charged and uh, you have to have an expensive device and uh, you, you more like centralize your knowledge. And I have a new model of how I would want that to work, which is sort of based on this framework that I uh, have been reading about in this book called How to Read a Book that talks about going through things hierarchically of like your first pass through a book, if, you know, if, if you have 10 minutes to read a book, you should not read straight from the beginning to, you know, chapter one, just 10 minutes straight. You should flip through the entire book, go through like a really high level analysis, read all the chapters, read the bold. If you see an interesting diagram, spend some time on that, read the table of contents, uh, read the back of the index. And then, okay, second time through, you're going to read just uh, the, the section headings of each chapter. And so you're, you're building up like a, a, a semantic structure of the book as you're going through. And then you go through and read more of the details. So digitally, you can represent content as a tree. So instead of having a table of contents, you start at a table of contents and that is the book. And then you expand each chapter. And w once you've expanded a chapter, it's like the subheadings of each chapter uh, is the next layer of the tree. And then you expand that and then, okay, now that's the content of the book. Uh, and then you could integrate that with more of a note-taking practice of like summarize things at the level of the paragraph and then summarize things at the level of the section and then at the level of the chapter and then the level of the book. And now you're, you're embracing much more this medium of uh, that you can read things digitally. What's your hot take on that? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting way to think about um, reading books. Um, it strikes me that only, I mean, I say only a small, but there's millions of these books, like only a, only a small chunk of books would be really good at reading this way like like the business book that is uh, you know 200 pages but could be a blog post it, this is like yeah. that's perfect for um yeah. not you know like fiction you know like people read fiction start to front or start yeah. to back so i i don't think that would apply other things yeah. like you know cookbooks and stuff that i don't think it applies um yeah but there is definitely a chunk of books where, where it applies you know that it would be really nice to do hierarchical reading um 
I have sort of gotten around this by like, if there's an interesting business book I want to read, I'll watch uh, an interview like on YouTube with the author first, you know, Ooh, so I, I like uh, speed watch a author and, and I kind of get the high points, you know, from that. Uh, and then, and then if I'm still interested, then I'll go and read it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess, what do you, like, I, I, what are your, what are your thoughts about what you would do with this? Is this a product you want to release? Is this just a fun side project? <laughs> I, you know, what do you, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, like everything else I do, I don't, it's, it's just fun. Uh, so immediately the thing I want this for is this is how I want to read books. Uh, when I'm reading a print book, I have I feel the frustration of like the way that I want to be taking notes isn't working and uh, the trying to follow this practice of reading it uh, in in sections uh, feels kind of clunky in a print book and uh, if I'm I'll, I'll be in the middle of you know a dozen books at any given time and okay now I'm gonna go on a trip and I have to pick the books that I want to bring and now that's like you know the, the books I'm bringing are way more than my laptop and that doesn't make sense it's it's like a few kilobytes of data uh, that weighs more than a processing machine that can hold gigabytes of data and access terabytes of data uh, that it, it, it does not feel very minimalist uh, and then if I take notes in a print book I have I have a whole stack of books that I have scribbled notes in the margins of that I'm not doing anything with that if it was digital and I had an, a, a workflow of where that information goes afterwards, uh, I'd like that loop to be closed of maybe it eventually ends up on my blog or gets rolled into my Zettelcast and note-taking system or something. Uh, and so fully embracing the digital medium, I think would just work better for me as a person of being better at digesting books. Uh <laughs> Bless you. Excuse me. And if I had that process, it would. I I would also be going through more books. I'd be reading more. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, I guess there's two other things I thought of too. One is just like if I'm going to read a long book, I tend to do it in print anyway, just because I don't like staring at a screen for a long time just mm. reading. Um, but if if you could jump around hierarchical hierarchically, then maybe that would be um, something super interesting. Uh, and then the other thing I thought of was so I've been reading some of these data science papers, these AI papers, mm. and you actually it's kind of exactly the wrong way to start at the beginning and read to the end. That's like whenever you hear people about how to read these very complex papers, they say, don't do that. Um, you start with mm -hmm. the abstract, then you read the conclusion, you know, and then you look through real quick for drawings, you know, kind of like what you were talking about. Um, so it's definitely a, a way to digest nonfiction information um, is to, is to not read it straight through. Um, yeah. I'd, so I, so I don't know where <laughs> those are just some things I thought of. I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but. There's a PDF we'll link to in the show notes uh, called How to Read a Paper that it, it's sort of like a condensed version of this How to Read a Book that talks about like, yeah, you, you skim through it and do it in layers. Um, same on not liking to stare at a screen for hours and read. Uh, I can listen to audiobooks for so much longer than I can stare at a screen uh, and even so much longer than I can stare at a, at a printed book. And if it's digital... You can just have a speech-to-text reader, and then you you can pop back and forth between the mediums. Uh, and that was trivially easy to do in this prototype that I made because there's just a speech-to-text API, and it just uses the the system reader on your computer. Uh, so I have it set up so that I just I hit spacebar, and wherever I am in this tree structure, it just starts reading it. And it's a computer voice, and it's not great, but like that combined with the uh, all of these other rich features in the structure, 
I can just listen along and if I don't understand something, I pause it and then, and then I read it and like parse the sentence and then, oh, let me take a note on that. Uh, and ideally I'd like to be able to take voice notes so I can sort of bounce between mediums of either I'm doing this entirely through voice, both input and output, or I'm typing and uh, I want to be able to use this on, on all my devices and have it synced and things. And uh, Oh, small aside, <laughs> part of working on this project, I had to figure out how to parse an EPUB. And I found this terrible node library called like, I think it's just titled EPUB. Uh, and the API is weird and it uses this uh, event-based system instead of provinces. And uh, it was just kind of gross and the, the structure that it spits out is weird. And I was like, man, what I would really like, but it, it was HTML-ish uh, to, to get the different chapters. Uh, like when, when I would call a chapter, it would return the chapter as HTML. And I thought, man, what I really want is just to, to be able to spit out all of this data as HTML and have it just like in a folder. Uh, so I was thinking about like, okay, maybe I go through and iterate through each of these things, uh, each of the chapters, get all the chapters HTML and then write those to a file. Uh, and then I'll also need to do that for images and get the, that image binary data out. Oh, and then I need to think about encoding for the file. And then I thought, wait a minute, what is an EPUB? <laughs> Could I just, how, like, how hard is this that they made this library to, to parse through this? Do you know what an EPUB is? <laughs> I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's just a text file or something. It's a zip file. Oh, it's just a zip right. compressed file of a folder of HTML documents and images. And that's what an EPUB is. They just, if you just change the extension from EPUB to zip, you can just double click it and it just, it just decompresses into uh, HTML documents oh, and, and image files. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Uh, and like, that's such a better medium for me than all of these terrible book readers and like Kindle apps and it's locked down. And, uh, I would so much rather have HTML. HTML just makes so much more sense for, uh, reading this type of, of information. And then you can change the font size and you can have it read to you. And it, it's a much more open format. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was funny. Uh, I have two more ideas. How are we doing on time? Oh, we'll need to go a little fast. Uh, next idea. I have been focused a lot in my life on wanting to reconnect with people. Uh, I think as a person, I tend to have a natural proclivity to being more interested in things than people, uh, which may be uh, a new dimension of personality. The, the big five may be replaced with the big six that includes that dimension. And so, and I've realized in my life, like people are very important uh, to quote into the wild. Happiness is meaningless if not shared. Uh, as There was like this man's dying words as he's dying in the wilderness in Alaska, trying to make it on his own in a bus. Like, okay, connection with people, very important. Trying to figure out relationships and uh, both intimate and friendships is like probably the most important place I could be spending time. And along those lines, I had the thought, you know what people don't think about anymore, but so, so would be like much more meaningful if I sent it. It's like a physical card for their birthday or something. And so I thought, oh, how cool would it be if I made a system that made it much easier for me to send out these birthday cards. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, what's, why a birthday? Why, like everyone gets attention on their birthday, but I bet not very many people even think about their half birthday. And so then I thought, oh, what about like quarter birthdays? And what about like the number of days they are old? Uh, I recently had my 10,000th day <laughs> uh, birthday. Uh, and you can do like a certain number of weeks old. And you can say things like, you know, you are as old as Britney Spears was when Hit Me Baby One More Time was released. And that's <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's like not a thing that uh, <laughs> you'd be thinking about. And then, you know, I'm going to be the only card that this person gets to celebrate this weird birthday. Uh, so that's going to be much more meaningful. And I, I can put a little effort into like, maybe I hire an artist to make a little design of like, ah, you're three years old on Jupiter. And maybe they make a 
cool little card design uh, around Jupiter. Um, and so then, you know, the way that I build things is that it makes it much easier for other people to use them too. So it wouldn't be that difficult to turn this into a thing that other people could also order cards if they had a similar problem of trying to keep in touch with people. But then I thought, you know who's terrible customers probably? <laughs> it's like individuals buying greeting cards because they're going to pay me like, what, $5 and then also email me to say, oh, it got there late or like, can you do this special thing? I don't want to deal with that at all. Uh, so what if it was like a Shopify plugin? I hate to commercialize this because I could see it getting gross really quickly. But what if the product was like, you have a Shopify store and you want to have a, a relationship with your customer that's more than skin deep. If you have their birthday and their address or even just their email, I can send it as an e-card. Uh, and you pay me like whatever, a hundred dollars a month or a certain amount per card or something. I... Uh, we we can we can pre-design like okay it makes sense for your business to uh, what you're you're like uh, uh, brick and bone you, you sell uh, bone broth and you want to send people a card when they're the same age that the founder of your company was when they started that company and you want a little custom design for that great and that's that's after they're this many years old great we can do that uh, and then I just handle sending out those cards with the custom design at the when the person you're sending them to is a certain age old what are your thoughts this is kind of a weird one yeah yeah uh so there's two directions that i could take this um i'll, I'll, I'll say them both first is uh yeah super neat idea like uh yeah, you know send it out to people that's great um you can even you know you could like digitize this to remind people to send you know things and stuff like, like there's that kind of angle um there's the sort of like you know sort of niche little thing the other is going really commercial with it, which you said you didn't want to do, uh, but you could. The things I get are things from my real estate agent that I haven't talked mm -hmm. to in many years, um, <laughs> yeah. my dentist, uh, other things like that. They send out stuff all the time. They send me stuff on my birthday. They send me stuff like with the sports calendar coming up. Uh, I'm sure real estate agents would want to send things like your third thing on Jupiter because it gets mm -hmm. their name in front of the people. And that's the, especially real estate agents, but other companies too. Like just get the name in front of the people. This is an excuse to do that. Um, it's like perfectly suited for that. Uh, it's also a fun way to do it that I don't, I haven't seen before. Um, it, it feels a little bit soul sucking. I don't, I don't know if it is or not, but, um, but yeah, I, it, it, it's neat. It's cool. I like it. Cool. Real estate agents is a great idea. <laughs> and I agree. That feels a little soul sucking. Uh, there's yeah, like, it, it, there's less soul sucking things too. Like uh, there's lots of restaurants that'll give you a free, you know, whatever on your birthday. Um, yeah, yeah. They could randomly, you know, say say, you know, I will send you a free thing, you know, you know once like six months removed from the birthday, basically have one of these yeah. holiday things, and that's another excuse to send a mail, basically. I like that. That would work well for restaurants too, because I could see that being if they like really embrace like, ooh, you're you're, I don't know, you're coming to Red Robin, and we're celebrating that you're <laughs> the age. <laughs> a hundred times the age of a robin right um, right and we have a balloon that says that and like you you wear a special hat on this holiday that we've invented uh that's now like a how weird is that and that that could be uh a, a very social media uh a bull thing that now you know if i got a card that said that and it's like wow i have a free coupon for a free dessert at red robin <laughs> there's a picture of like what this is gonna look like like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody about that. Uh that's a that's a very 
unusual thing. Okay, cool. Stuff to think about. I like real estate agents because they have money. Uh, cool. Okay. My last idea. I had two experiences this last week of listeners of the show who had been chatting with me uh, about different ideas that they have. Because if there's one thing people should know about me, it's that I love talking about ideas. <laughs> it's great. It's my favorite thing. Uh, and so uh, two friends that I had made through the show uh, reached out uh, talking about different ideas they had. And within an hour of each other, it was sort of spooky. They both replied back. They both had like different ways of expressing their appreciation for that. Of like, One of them sent me this video that he was filming of like, thank you so much for the call we had. Uh, inspiring me to push forward with this project and like uh, I'm, I'm going to start the project because of you and I, I felt all oh, warm and fuzzy inside I'm like oh that's so cool and then uh, within the hour uh, another one of my friends had said like you know I wrote this blog post about the specific way that you had helped me and uh, is it okay if I mention you by name and I was like oh yes of course oh amazing uh, and I would love to be having more of that type of interaction and I don't quite know what that would look like but I had the idea what if I had like a huge button on my website and a, a big old button on my Twitter profile that was like, book a time with me and here's the framing so that it's it's easy for you to start this conversation because like there's a template of what this is going to look like. We're going to talk about your idea for an hour and in practicing asking people for things and not just giving and uh, uh, being stuck in this mentality of like that I have to have all the power. Uh, I would charge something for it. I'd like 50 or $100 for an hour-long phone call just to like make it more formalized. Uh, what's your hot take on that? Um, yeah, so I think charging for it may remove some of the nice feelings you have because now it's an obligation. Um, mm. So there's that uh, that you may want to look out for. Um, but the other thing is that people do this all the time, especially if they sell a course on a thing. So if you sell a course on a thing, then one of the packages might be something like, and book a, you know, uh, hour long call with me. Um, mm. if you just had a button on your website, like some people might do it. Um, uh, but I think if you really wanted to like to get more people to do it, like the way to do it is to sell a course and then have a 60 minute call as one of the packages. Um, that's kind of my hot take. I like that. And I could immediately do that with, uh, the Genco School Learn to Code courses that I'm doing. I like that. I also want to start doing office hours for that that I don't charge anything for. Would that make sense for something like Meeting Place or File Inbox? Of like, if you have a, if you're on a certain tier, you get a bespoke white glove onboarding call where you talk strategy for it. Um, I would be more at more likely to do that for free, um, because that teaches me a whole bunch of stuff too. Like, uh, so I see I see people do you know like so ConvertKit famously did lots of they, they call it concierge onboarding and it's totally free yeah. uh, they basically lost money on it if you just look at the business sense but people remember that you learn a ton mm -hmm. from your customers doing that and then your customers go and tell other people that they did this concierge onboarding thing um, and it basically got them over the hump from not profitable to profitable because they were able mm -hmm. to bring on much bigger customers by doing this concierge onboarding thing um, yeah so yeah i would call it concierge onboarding concierge onboarding and i would do it for free if it was uh, for a business I could make that make sense right now for file inbox. I could just have like, I could just offer that on my highest tier. And then, you know, that's, that's doubly benefiting me because the people on my highest tier are the people who I'm most curious about, who I want to get on the phone. And if they tell me like, oh, you know, you integrate with SharePoint, right? I could say <laughs> right. like, oh, well, not yet, but 
I will in a week and then I can rush and learn the SharePoint API and like, uh, and do that. And, and then that would get me more customers like them. Interesting. The, hmm. the other thing, okay. That's a thing that I'd like to have done by next week. I want, I want to be offering concierge onboarding cool. uh, for my top tier on file inbox. Uh, the other thing it gives you is if you're on the call and you set something up for them and they say something like, this is awesome. Thank you. Uh, you say, could I use that as a testimonial? <laughs> and then you get testimonials. Yeah. Right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Right when they're most excited about oh, the project. That, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, yeah. And then that can turn into like a reel of here's these fancy people who are paying me $500 a month who yep. are all saying good things about me. Yeah, that's the play. Okay, cool. Wow, that went in a totally different direction than I thought it was going to. And uh, that's a very valuable idea. Cool. Thank you for your hot takes. That's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I will see you next week. See you. Bye.